Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. As I said on Friday, nothing complicated about this one. The great John Voorhees of Mac Stories gives us a debriefing of the week that was at WWDC. I guess the meta view, and then like we'll laser down in. Uh, from my end, it felt like the most jam-packed sort of exciting wwdc in a couple years just just on that the the thirty thousand foot level do you agree with that oh definitely it was it was we were you know covering it at mac stories and it was almost impossible to keep up with craig federighi especially because he just moves so quickly and there was so much packed in a lot of things that i really didn't expect i mean there was there were announcements about all kinds of new enhancements to hardware as well as all the ios and ipad os there's a million different things to talk about but yeah they you know i think it ran about two minutes i mean two hours 15 minutes and believe me i noticed that it was it was (laughs) we were we were an hour and 15 minutes late posting the show that day yeah, but it felt like five hours because it just kept going and going, and I still feel like I'm I'm absorbing what happened because we've been out here in San Jose at the conference, and there's just people keep discovering new little things that they just didn't have time to talk about. Uh, okay, let's let's do it meta from the Apple fans' perspective. Are you getting a sense? And I'm saying fans as opposed to developers. Let's do fans first. Do you feel like Apple fans got enough wow things for them to come away from it happy? I think they did. I mean, it was a little bit of a mixed bag in the sense that I think a lot of Apple fans misinterpreted the Mac Pro and the Pro Display XDR that came out, which is not meant for your average consumer or Mac fan. It's really meant for, you know, Hollywood filmmaker tool chains and that sort of thing. That's an incredibly expensive machine and an incredibly expensive display. And I think some people were a little disappointed that there wasn't something that was maybe more powerful than an iMac Pro but less crazy than what came out. Although I think people who were, you know, have these workflows that require multiple high-end computers that they can now replace with one computer are going to be really happy with it. But I think for every, you know, when you look at everything else, when you look at iOS, you look at iPadOS, a lot of pain points that people have had, especially if you're interested in working on the iPad, have been eliminated. And that, that I think, made a lot of people happy. You know what? We're going to come back to several of those points uh, individually here. But um, sure. So then, what about what about the developers? What, what's the sense uh, from WWDC? Are the developers coming away happy? I think so for the most part. I mean, there was a lot of angst and concern, especially by Mac developers going into this, that somehow you know all the iOS people were going to flow in, and their uh, the and that the Mac was not going to be the platform it used to be for development. But that's really not turned out to be the case. Uh, Apple's doing a couple of things that I think really point towards and clarifies their vision for development in the future, which is, first of all, there's Catalyst. And Catalyst is what used to be called Project Marzipan. And that's the ability to take iPad apps and publish them on the Mac without a ton of work. And, you know, that is going to do, I think, two things. One, it's going to revitalize the Mac app ecosystem, which has been kind of stagnant over the last several years, because it'll bring in some of the best of the iPad apps that are out there. But I think it's also, in the end, going to also help the iPad, because developers looking to publish on both platforms will probably, hopefully, make deeper iPad apps 
with an eye towards then taking that deeper pro iPad app and bringing it over to the Mac. So I think, you know, if you're an iOS developer, you're happy because you've, you can now target the Mac more easily. If you're a Mac developer, you can, you might be start, you might start looking at the iPad. And on top of that, uh, Apple's not getting rid of AppKit, which is the framework that, you know, has historically been used to make Mac apps. That's still sticking around. Uh, there's just a new way to do this now coming at it from the, I, the iOS angle. And then there's one other developer story that came out of this that I think is kind of meta a big deal for everybody, and that's Swift UI, because this is a whole new way to build UIs for apps from everything from the watch all the way up to the Mac. And what it does, it's a little bit, I mean, I like to think of it as someone who's not really a programmer, as like CSS. It's kind of human readable. You have a lot of parameters and dropdowns that you can you can pick from to describe what the UI the UI of your app should look like. Instead of going through pages and pages of, of detailed code, you pick these parameters and it's much more human readable and shorter and should make should allow things like designers to actually get in and do some of the code themselves even uh, alongside you know traditional uh, programmers. So again, I'm not a programmer either, but so my sense of it was that Swift UI, not only is it just going to make life easier for, for actual developers, but it might actually draw in, like you're saying, more novice developers, like maybe bring people into development that, that wouldn't have done it until it got this simple. Exactly. And in the past, you know, we've had tools like Interface Builder, which is kind of a drag and drop interface for building UIs. And designers especially would use that alongside programmers to, to build apps. But I think this might even be better for you know, collaboration on a team when you've got, you've got both designers and, and programmers working together. All right, let's come back to the Mac Pro. Um, so I, I feel like in the sense that the, the the knock on the previous Mac Pro was that it's sort of you were you were shut out of a lot of things like basically this bad boy you can basically slot in a Cessna airplane engine if you want right yes so yes. like basically they went entirely in the other direction it's like all right you just want ports and stuff fine knock yourself out right right and I think this is a lot more than anybody really expected I mean no one really knew what what Apple meant when they said it was going to be a modular computer and you know you look at the design I think. I think it's actually kind of an ugly machine myself, but it does harken back to the old cheese grater that was, you know, the the nickname for the Mac Pro before we got the trash can, which was problematic really from the start because it it uh, had problems with the GPUs overheating, so it, it was really really constrained in terms of what hardware could go in there because it was so tiny and such a unique design that it it didn't really work out. Now this is just a big you know, it's a big rectangle and you've got a latch on the top, you twist it, you pull the whole thing off and you can put, uh, there are eight PCI slots in there. Uh, there's all kinds of custom new Apple designed card slots and modules to make things very fast. And it's, it's designed for, I think, you know, people doing 3d model rendering, uh, people who are doing high end video, cause it can handle up to three streams of 8k video simultaneously simultaneously, which is amazing. I mean, they were doing demos after the keynote of people editing 8K video in real time and doing, you know, color correction and all sorts of other, uh, doing all sorts of other plugins to try, you know, to edit the video live, which is just something that wasn't, isn't done on, you know, a single box in most circumstances. Uh, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I, from what I can tell, some of the complaints are that it, it it priced so high 
that it is mm-hmm. only targeting the highest high-end pros, not the aspirational pros, so that, right. like, yeah, if it was maybe $4,000, like, people would still, you know, feel like it was in the realm of attainability. Uh, what do you think that that says about um, how Apple is thinking about the, the Mac lineup generally? I think that they realized that, you know, originally what was going to happen, supposedly the word was, there was that the Mac Pro was going away and that the iMac Pro was kind of the new Pro machine. And there were a lot of, you know, there are howls from the community about that. I think what this machine is designed to do is to be kind of the the supercar of Apple. It's got cutting edge technology in it that hopefully will trickle down over the years to other machines. It's definitely not meant for everyone. You know, the people that they had doing demos were people from Pixar and things like that, where they were saying they were going to take four workstations and reduce them down to the single machine. Those are people with, you know, Hollywood budgets to make big films. It's not, as you said, like a prosumer or aspirational photographer, videographer, whatever. They're going to be uh, really, I suppose some of the big YouTubers will, will pick these up pretty quickly. Uh, and people doing really high resolution video, but it's really meant for a, an entirely different market than someone like myself or, or most people doing, you know, your average, uh, taking home movies or photos or whatever. Uh, real quick, a word about the, the pro display or maybe mm-hmm. even the, uh, the thousand dollar stand. I don't know if you got a <laughs> yes. chance to, to get eyes on with that thing, but, uh, just real quick, what, what are your thoughts there? Well, I haven't actually seen it myself yet. I was just my jaw dropped when I saw the stand was a thousand dollars. I mean, you well, know, there was an audible gasp as we all saw in the video. Yeah, there was. I mean, you know, you can either buy a thousand dollars stand or maybe you can just have a small child hold up your your display for you. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it even the Visa mount adapter is two hundred dollars, and you can buy a a good Visa arm for less than two hundred dollars. So it's it's very very expensive. Uh, it has characteristics that I guess from my understanding are the things that pros need in terms of you know the, the color and the the matte finish with this nano etching that they done they've done with the glass that feature alone just getting the matte finish is a thousand dollars and it's you know so you can get a 32 inch display for seven thousand dollars which is amazing to me but uh yeah i suppose there must be somebody out there who who needs it i certainly am not going to spend that kind of money on a display though molecule is reimagining the future of clean air starting with the air purifier molecule is not just an improvement on existing outdated technology but a complete reinvention of air purification Global air pollution is worsening at an ever-increasing rate. Over 80% of people living in urban areas that monitor air pollution are exposed to air quality below World Health Organization standards. Worse news is that indoor air can be up to five times worse than outdoor air, according to the EPA. Unlike HEPA filters, Molecule destroys indoor air pollutants at the molecular level completely removing them from the air you breathe. Molecule uses photoelectrochemical oxidation nanotechnology to eliminate allergens, mold, bacteria, viruses, and airborne chemicals. Molecule literally destroys the pollutants that other filters collect. Molecule's technology has been personally effective and verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people. Molecule has given allergy and asthma sufferers around the country 
an all-new experience. Get a better indoor air experience today. For $75 off your first order, visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E dot com. And at checkout, enter the promo code RIDE. That's Molecule, M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E dot com, and code RIDE at checkout. We all have that friend who's the first one to try things, whether they're just super trendy or more of a guinea pig. When you're making a choice, it's always nice to hear it from someone who's been there, done that. Choosing the right software for your business is no different. You can read thousands of real software reviews to help you choose the right software for your business on capterra.com slash ride. Captera is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solutions for your business. With over 850,000 reviews of products from real software users, discover everything you need to make an informed decision. Search more than 700 specific categories of software, everything from project management to email marketing to yoga studio management software. No matter what kind of software your business needs, Captera makes it easy to discover the right solution fast. Visit capterra.com slash ride for free today to find the tools to make an informed software decision for your business. Capterra.com slash ride. Capterra, that's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash ride. All right, so iOS 13... Uh, what what are the highlights there for you? You know, I, I there's a lot in this release. They've really updated a lot of apps that haven't been touched in a long time. I'm a big fan of dark mode. I like using that on my Mac, and it'll be nice to have that on iOS as well. The Shortcuts app, though, is just really kind of amazing because, you know, Shortcuts started out its life as an app called Workflow, and mm. that, that team got purchased, that app got purchased by Apple. And when it came out originally as Shortcuts, it was an add-on. You had to go to the store and download it. Now it's tightly integrated with the OS, which makes a lot of new things possible. So they've completely redesigned how you create Shortcuts, which lets you automate all kinds of tasks on iOS. And uh, so not only is it, not only do you have a new way to do that, but you've got all these triggers. It used to be that you couldn't do things like have a shortcut run at a, at a certain time of day or when you arrived home, but you can do all of that now. There's all kinds of system level triggers for shortcuts. When you connect to a certain Wi-Fi network, when you connect your phone to CarPlay, when you're driving somewhere, there's a lot of things like that that are really powerful. Plus, they can Siri shortcuts, which are you know the voice command actions, they can actually take inputs and provide outputs before they were all kind of self-contained. So it was very hard to do anything beyond like, you know, what's the weather or, I mean, they're very simple things you could get, get little bits of information, but now you can put information in them and get information back out, which makes, makes it a much better uh, experience. What about all of the, especially in iOS, all of the focus on, on privacy? I think you guys did a piece like, for Apple, privacy is not just a marketing gimmick anymore. It's like right. it's a basic value proposition for them now. Yeah, um, go ahead. I was going to say it is. I, I think they treat it as a feature now, and it's a feature that 
that runs across the entire lineup, you know, whether you're talking about hardware and it's something like the T2 chip uh, and the secure enclave and all those other chips that they've used to protect privacy or the, the apps themselves, you know, the fact that the machine learning of photographs and things like that is happening on device and not going up to the cloud. And uh, it's, it's something that, you know, we've been seeing from Apple for a few years now, but they've, they seem to have really doubled down on it because every segment of the, the presentation on Monday, even though they were really trying to cram as much in as possible, had an aspect of privacy mentioned. So, you know, I think we'll continue to see more of that. This might be the, the right place to talk about the whole um, sign-in or log-in with Apple sort of controversy. And, yes. and I don't know if it's a controversy. Like, I've been covering it from the angle of... Uh, is this some sort of a thing that it's an interesting time when all this antitrust stuff is bubbling up for them to yep. sort of be this aggressive about it. But I'm wondering, because you're there, from from the, the other angle to it is from the developer point of view, it is sort of like, you know, it's it, your, your average developer doesn't need the Facebook level of, of targeting and information, but you do like to have information about your users and and feedback about your uh, how, how your product is, is being used and things like that. So are you hearing anything from developers, uh, any sort of backlash about it from that angle? No, not from that angle. People did. I mean, eyebrows were raised when that was when Apple announced that it was going to be mandatory. So you know, if you use like Google or Facebook to authenticate, you also have to use Apple sign in. So that raised a few eyebrows. But you know, I think some developers, especially the smaller ones who I've talked to, they have used Google or Facebook because it was just easy to incorporate those APIs and use them. But they were a lot of them were not comfortable necessarily with what was going on on the other end with Google and Facebook because they didn't know for sure what information about their app was going back to Google or Facebook. And so I think some people are very, very uh, optimistic about it because they, they don't really want that information. They just want to be able to get someone into their app and use their service, not to allow, you know, a man in the middle to use whatever information is being, uh, you know, emitted from the phone to, uh, to Google or so Facebook. So almost it's like they, it gives them peace of mind that they don't have to worry that some day down the road, their app is going to, people are going to be pissed because their app gave this away and gave that away and they didn't even know. Right. Because you've seen all those stories that come out of, you know, TechCrunch has done a bunch of these stories where they'll sniff the, the, the network traffic and see, oh, well, Facebook's getting this information about this app and this information about that app. And those developers don't always know that they're leaking that information. It's because they're using some sort of ad tech or they're using Google or Facebook. And uh, if they use the Apple sign-on, presumably that, that, won't, that won't be an issue. Uh, okay, iPad OS. Or actually just iPad generally in the sense that to what degree uh, have we addressed the complaints that even if you if you commit to an iPad Pro, you're still kind of playing with one hand tied behind your back? Like, what what's right. what, what do you think uh, the moves that Apple has made there ha- have done to address those complaints? I have not had a chance to try the beta yet myself, but from what I've seen, it looks like an awful lot has been addressed because I think probably. The biggest thing is the fact that now you can display multiple instances of the same app, whether that's side by side, you know, editing one document and pasting things into another one, whether that's 
uh, multiple versions of Safari next to different apps. So maybe you're doing research in Safari and taking notes and notes in one setup, uh, one space, and then have Safari next to another app and another one. Uh, that creates a lot of flexibility that just wasn't there before. Uh, and it's very easy to switch between those pairs of apps. The other big uh, pro bit of progress that we've made with this this week, I think, is the Files app. Because for me, at least, when I would work on iOS in the past, at times I'd be in the Files app and, it'd be, and I'd say to myself, you know, it's just easier to go get in front of my Mac and do this because the Finder's just more, a lot more powerful. Now, though, you know, there's now you can uh, have a column view in files, there's metadata, there's a whole bunch of other things that just make working with files on the iPad, I think, better than it was before. Uh, wrapping up, I uh, tvOS got overlooked. In fact, I actually legitimately, at the top of my mind, have no idea. Was there anything in, in tvOS that, that was no, new and notable at all? The, the thing that's most interesting to me is that there is now uh, there's game controller support. So you can use an Xbox or a PS4 controller. <laughs> oh, right. Right, yeah, right, right. I think that that's going to be pretty big. I, you know, I haven't seen anybody really test it out yet to see what the latency is and things like that. But people have been saying for years that Apple should make its own controller with the Apple TV if they're ever going to be really truly into games that you play on your television. And this is their solution. I'm sure when Apple Arcade was announced, they talked to game developers who said, you know what, if we're going to do this, we're going to need some kind of controller support. And this is the answer. Instead of doing their own thing, they're just going to have it work with Sony and Microsoft's controllers, which I think is, you know, it's potentially a good solution. Those are good controllers, and Apple's not in the controller building business, so uh, why not, uh, you know, use someone else's? Although it is kind of an unusual move for Apple to do that sort of thing. Were you surprised that um, they didn't uh, use this opportunity to, like, give us more on Apple Arcade, or, or does it make more sense to do that uh, with the iPhone launch? I think... It it'll be make more sense with the iPhone launch because I assume that that's when that's going to roll out. You know, we had the event in March and that previewed it. And this was really, this is more of a, you know, this is a developer crowd first and foremost at WWDC. And while there were obviously game developers in the crowd, uh, this is, you know, the story behind Apple Arcade is more of a services story and a customer facing story. So I think we'll see more of that in the fall. Uh, and finally, I think you wrote about, um, CarPlay, which again, yes. uh, I, I overlooked and probably didn't even talk about day of, but uh, what's what's new in CarPlay? Yeah, it got like two seconds of screen time and three sentences on the website, but looking at it carefully there, you can now display two apps simultaneously. So if you're navigating with maps, you can see the map and you can also uh, see your music playing and there'll be like serious suggestions. So you're driving up to your house and there's a serious suggestion to open your garage door. For example, you'll be able to use that. Uh, apps are no longer, you know, they don't have to fill the whole screen. They can s exist side by side, which is really nice. Plus third parties are going to get Siri voice support. So you, apps like Waze or Pandora or Spotify will be able to use Siri to control music or navigation Whereas before, an app like Waze, for instance, had a special button inside the app in CarPlay that you had to first tap before you could activate 
uh, voice control, which was, you know, it was a, not as good an experience as, as Apple's built-in one. And a lot of people assume that was a competitive thing, but uh, maybe it was more of a technological thing because now that's spreading to third parties as well. Before I let you go, you guys have a, a new podcast, right? We do. It's called Dialogue, and it's a seasonal podcast where we interview people more about creativity, culture, and society, things like that, with a tech angle involved. And our first season is about writers and writing. Uh, and we've just had two episodes out, uh, an introductory one with me and Federico Vitici, and then we've interviewed John Gruber of Daring Fireball, who we have a two-part interview with him. It's about two hours in total. The first episode is out, and the next one's coming uh, next Tuesday. Well, look that up. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, I would like to plug, actually, uh, Federico Vitici did an interview with Craig Federighi of Apple. It just came out today on App Stories, which is our other podcast that you can find over at appstories.net. Thank you, John. Thank you very much, Brian. 